This is Beware of the Leopard, episode 212, the one where they said goodbye. I'm Mark Stedman, and I'm genuinely well disposed to people. I'm Danny Smith, and friends are siblings God never gave us. I'm John Bands, and do you want to be in my gang? Oh. <laughs> I'm John Hickman, and I don't know what you're talking about. I can't possibly be racist against aliens. I've got lots of friends from Beetlejuice. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard. It's a podcast you subscribed to um, back in uh, probably 2020, <laughs> um, when you heard about it from Radio 4, um, and before the world went crazy town banana pants since then we've managed to squeeze out about 13 episodes into just 74 months <laughs> most of them either apologizing for lateness or um, anticipating a triumphant return oh sweet sweet hubris you go down so easy but you don't have burn at the finish this week we are talking about french this week we are talking about friendship <laughs> when i were a kid when i were a lad um it didn't seem right um that my parents had friends i mean it turns out that they didn't they just had neighbors and second cousins but i'm now older than my dad was when he was my age and i like to flatter myself by thinking i have friends but nobody told me life was going to be this way Oh. Anyway, I do have friends. It's just that you wouldn't know them. They go to a different school. <laughs> and, to, and to go with that uh, little um, paraphrase there, Mark, it sounds like John's in a fountain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. I don't know how much of it will uh, transfer, but um, yes, there is, a, there is the, the pitter-patter of tiny um, rain. Yeah, and for some reason, I'm just dancing around my umbrella rather than actually using it. Absolutely, but at least you're not picking up Radio 3 this time. So it's been a while, lads. Um, it's, been a while. it's been a while. The last time we were together, you know, I don't. I think I've ever heard that song. It's like people who have seen Star Wars, but they know all the references. <laughs> like I know it's been a while, but that's. I don't actually. I know that's not how it will go. I know that's definitely not how it actually goes. It, it literally goes that way. It's just. It's gone Stanger. through so many yeah. permutations that it's just like it's been a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 no. It's been. You know, it's not. It's I thought not you were like put, being Porky Pig or something. It's the song, is it? Yeah, yes. yes. But by popular beat combo, the stained, the stained, the stained, or the popular beat group. Yeah, uh, it has been a while, and uh, John um, will tell uh, John H will tell the story of how this episode came together. Oh, excellent! Okay, so um, a, a young a young man, not two meters from me, except he is down the internet, but you know he, he feels close. Uh, called Mark. It was his fortieth birthday this it's year. It's me. Happy birthday! He's talking about me. Yay. And um, we realised we hadn't recorded for a while and we wanted to make a a lovely special present for our special boy. So we decided that we would make a show, a Beware of the Leopard show, that's this. Mm. Uh, And we would surprise him with it, but he would have to be on it as well. So we were going to. Otherwise, it wouldn't get out. <laughs> yeah, because he knows where the internet is. We, we still wanted him to do all the work, but <laughs> it's your birthday, Mark. Pick the bones out of that. <laughs> Pick the bones out of forty. So we we came up with an idea of of a topic because we always have a topic, and the topic was friends. Because of what he is. Because <laughs> of what he is. Because <laughs> of the way you are. <laughs> and um, we we wrote our little essay about what the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy might say about friends. And we got ready and we, we tried to hoodwink him onto just a casual chat call. And the bugger wouldn't come. Is that what happened? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that that's the case. But is that what happened? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. One caveat to that is John says we all wrote a thing, whereas I really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so we did try we did try to um, we did try to uh, trick Mark into making a podcast. It didn't work, and instead we had to actually plan one, and then that took us about six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I still haven't written anything. Sorry, John's just going to throw in socialism and Frank Sidebottom into Chat GBT and see what comes out. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that actually, Dan, because at about six o'clock tonight that was ex- pretty much exactly what i was gonna do looking things up on chat gpt is the new equivalent of the oxford english dictionary defines friendship as... <laughs> shit we've done your bit then jump <laughs> so danny uh you're you 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 volunteered um you pulled your uh piece of straw out of the hat um would you like to tell us what the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy might say about friendship In the face of a cruel and indifferent universe, making friends makes evolutionary sense. While it's in the family unit's interest to make sure a pack member is fed, kept warm and cared for, only a friend will help you flirt, tell you how bad those trousers look, or even rescue you from falling asleep in the snow after you've put away the best part of a bottle of Jack Daniels and snuck away to smoke a cigar. There's no reason for that highly specific last example. No reason at all. Despite this, the power of friendship is often overlooked or even derided by bigger, more serious civilizations. The type of civilization that invents the necktie before the drums. The best example of this snobbery was the ire directed towards the inhabitants of Fluvian Smile 7, the cloud planet. Fluvians are similar to the Earth's loss. Same smiling face, except their fur is rainbow pastel and the Fluvians are considerably better at hugging. Fluvians lived a life for support and connection, and as such chose not to deplete their planet's natural mineral resources or cause damaging chemical reactions to power their burgeoning civilization. Instead, they spent decades trying to power their machines, cities, and world using only the power of friendship. They, of course, became a punchline in that particular corner of the galaxy. Other starships would land on Fluvian Smile 7, claiming to be out of gas, asking locals for a tank of tickles, or to fill them up with premium hugs. Occasionally, these visitors would push the Fluvians around, or steal what little they had. The Fluvians would just smile the serene smile only seen on an Earthman with two cats and a piano, and wave them goodbye. Centuries later, a little Fluvian scientist named Squiggletums tapped her huge claw against the raspberry fur on her forehead. I've got it, she says quietly. Squiggletum, with the love and support of all around her, had figured out how to turn friendship into energy. And the Fluvian race, quietly at first, engaged in one of the bloodiest and most brutal campaigns of galaxy-wide murder the universe has ever seen. Using this near-infinite resource of friendship to power their engines, fill their drives, and power the dazzling array of ingenious and unrelenting weapons, the Fluvians took swift and unmerciful revenge on all that had dared to laugh or mock them. When they had done, they burnt a sign in the heart of a nearby star for any survivors. There is a difference between being kind and being harmless, motherfuckers. The Fluvians eventually retired from galactic carnage and now live decidedly unfucked with on their home planet, skipping and high-fiving. Their planet motto translates to The power of love can move mountains, but the power of friendship can smash them into tiny little pieces and turn you inside out. (laughs) 
There's something something that makes you think that eventually, um, I was going to say the Irish would go like that, but they already have in a way. So maybe the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've known some aggressively friendly people, and I feel like the Dutch could could qualify. Yeah. Oh, they're not friendly. I just thought they protect <laughs> Mick out. Aggressive. Oh, if if you've ever drunk with an Irishman, you know how aggressively they will offer you a, a drink. <laughs> So look, there's um there's clearly a story about some Jack Daniels that you need to spill at this point. I'm not spilling any Jack Daniels. Um, <laughs> Danny, you tell it every time, every chance you get. So uh, have at it, my boy. Uh, we were drinking in the flat one night. This was back when I lived above a uh, Taiwanese fusion restaurant, um, and we were we we drank quite a lot, and it started to snow, like quite heavily, like absolutely shit it down. And we're drinking and I'm chatting. I think I'm chatting to the other person that's there, which I think was real at the time. And um, we noticed Mark's missing. Like, he's gone. Like, he's not in the bathroom. He's not in the kitchen. And so we're like, where, where, the, where the fuck? Where the fucking... Okay. <laughs> so we go outside. Mark has gone for a cigar. So he's gone downstairs to the patio of the, the, the restaurant that we share. And he's sitting at a table, like his head in snow, passed out, right? Like the snow on the table at this point is higher than his head. And he is <laughs> unconcho on this table. We genuinely don't know how long he's been there. I was only sleeping. <laughs> I was only sleeping. <laughs> Resting his tired little feet. I was, Danny, very kind. He was very kind. And he helped me to bed. He brought a bowl for what he described as my ablutions, which is uh, has always stuck with me. <laughs> um, and I had a very pleasant night's sleep. I don't remember the morning, but I do remember that. Do you remember going out for a cigar? Do you remember like, oh, that's the choice I'm going to make? Oh, yeah. I mean, you would have known that that's what I was doing anyway, but you would have just, it would, so much time would have passed. <laughs> you were like, surely he's come in by now. Uh, but no, I think it was probably about, um, I don't know, 15 minutes. Uh, and, you know, I was just, <laughs> I've never fallen asleep sitting down before. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, I would, I, would, I would have been stood up for a bit and then decided it's time to west my wearies. And uh, yeah, and, and that bit, I don't remember. I do remember you waking me up. And being surprised that that was a thing that had happened. <laughs> I, f I, f I feel like that that particular piece of writing relies on the gear change halfway through, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I've only ever done that once before, and it's for one of these that I did for this podcast. And I remember, I remember thinking, "Oh, this this genuinely has no real jokes in it. It relies on a change of tone." Yeah, and that's that's difficult and scary to land. There's a few woofs along the line. You, I think yeah. you've been harsh in it there. It's just, yeah, there's some good, there's some great lines on their own that stand. Do you think they could remain friends, uh, as you know, as a kind of soft and cuddly race? Could they remain friends while spending their time killing people? I don't. It's um, no shared. Maybe Alex Ferguson did a sort of us against them team talk with them, and uh, they really got into that. I don't know. Yeah, murder brings the people together. Famously, murder, murder. I mean, if, if all those all those films in the um, early two thousands about you know dead hookers or uh, people who you know were scraped off the bonnets of cars, uh, you know, I know who you brutally murdered and left for dead last summer. Um, they they're all basically about 
how murder brings us closer together. Not normally the murderers. No, not... Well, yeah, it usually is. Because it's usually they they did a murder and then it's it's like oh we but we all were witnesses and you you backed up the car after I drove it over him and now we've got to keep the secret because I'm going to save the rec centre and <laughs> and he's going to go to grad school and he's a valedictorian. That, or something. Well, that I've seen. This films. is what this is what um, Tory MPs do in the Bullingdon Club, isn't it? This is, <laughs> because you've all we've all got to be mates now because we've all fucked a pig's head. That sort of thing, or we've all burnt the fifty pound in front of, um, I don't know, uh, Mark, Mark Rylance um, preparing for a role. I I do remember, and it was around the time that you passed out in my back garden in the snow, that you used to describe me as the sort of friend in that movie. You know, the one that you were describing where somebody accidentally murders one. I would be the one that's surprisingly okay with it and together. With getting rid of the body, yeah, you would be too, you would be too uncomfortably you would be uncomfortably okay with it. But this is your character of practical goth, isn't it? This is <laughs> this is your recurring. <laughs> yes, I may think life is a, a, a desperate shadow play of impermanence, but I can put up a shelf. <laughs> I don't. I don't think of his practical goth. I think of his sort of goth scout. <laughs> he knows a surprising amount about knots and bushcraft. I do actually. <laughs> You know, um, the sort of people who have live, love, laugh, m- m- you know, murder. You murder know. your friends and <laughs> stay together. I often wonder if the, the Manson family just wrote live, love, laugh in blood on the, 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 the Tate mansion. In this house, we only murder prostitutes. <laughs> That's that would be that would probably the one that was in Buckingham Palace in the uh, late 1800s. Hairdressers and shit actresses. Sidebar. <laughs> okay, don't don't put that in. Sharon's a very good actress, and and that was an unnecessarily cruel thing that I just said. Sidebar. Do you know that if the Elephant Man had looked out of his window uh, about eight o'clock one night, he would have seen Jack the Ripper walk past, having done one of his murders. It, it just imagine that the sort of people that have live, love, laugh. Um, signs up. Don't they also have, like, particularly, they don't necessarily put this on signs, but it is their Facebook meme, the sort of thing they do, is, oh, we're best friends because you're the ones I'd come to if I'd done a murder and I needed to hide the body. But it's 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 a, it's a Facebook meme in impact font and it's two minions arm in arm. <laughs> One with a shovel behind their back. Like, <laughs> it's the female equivalent of a, a man putting a um, picture of Cillian Murphy on his Facebook and talking about I don't know something shit about loyalty. Oh God! Or, or they all think you all think they're nice until you're not laughing, and then and then you're the only one laughing, or something. <laughs> something fucking, completely, like, yeah. It's just like if you were like if 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 you were the sort of hard man that you think you would, you wouldn't be on Facebook in the fucking first place. Best thing that the Peaky Blinders ever gave to us is uh, the aqueduct. The aqueduct. Well, <laughs> apart from the aqueduct. <laughs> Well, they, they, it was the refurbishment of the aqueduct in um, in Digbeth. No. Well, apart from the refurbishment of the aqueduct in Digbeth and the aqueduct. Killian Murphy's cock. Didn't he hang hog in that? Well, obviously, Killian Murphy's cock goes without saying, but apart from Killian Murphy's cock and the rebuilding of the aqueduct. Cockenheimer. <laughs> Does he hang hog in, in, in that? I apparently, there's a 15 minute sex scene. They've got to bulk it out somehow. It's three hours I long. I see him drop snake again, like Jesus. Like Jesus did. <laughs> just, just like Jesus did. Swing low, sweet chariot. And also with you. <laughs> you guys are really stepping on my half-written piece, you know. <laughs> Get it out.
John Bounds, um, your uh, next victim, um, you have some, some words to say about friendship. Friendship makes the world go round. Literally, in the case of planet Stedman Alpha, whose population built up social capital by being nice and jolly enthusiastic, if a bit liberal, and broadcasting it across their galaxy in hour-sized chunks. Then, when a disaster struck and their planet stopped rotating, the inhabitants of the next planet, who had long liked and subscribed, gave it a tow. This worked marvellously for around a thousand years before Stedman Alpha was swung round in space and collided with its neighbour like a billion killing sets of space clackers. But friendship isn't always about reciprocity. It may grow as the creatures on each new world evolve communication and cooperation. But as time goes on, some bastards on the planet will invent capitalism and corrupt it, make you pay back rent for the primordial slime you just crawled out of. Capitalism is the economic and political system in which trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit that eventually means that you won't be able to eat without working so long and hard as to be too tired to. But not to worry, as capitalism will sell you an instant meal in a shake if you work just that bit harder. Capitalism hates friendship, as the space robot C.R. Mar X bleep blooped. The less you think, love, the more you will be able to save bleep. The less you are, the less you express your life. The more you have, the greater is your bleep alienated life. Capitalism hates friendship because the means of production are hard to control. As capitalism evolves, it seems that it will settle for owning the means of audio production. Taking their cue from the small furry creatures of Stedman Alpha, capitalists all over the universe have started making short audio programs to push their ideology. The red planet's Ted Spherical and an individual from the opposing blue planet, Guido Frogspawn, have started a Tri-D audio discussion, delivered asynchronously to pocket player devices. They disagree about everything, but are lucky to remain friends. They laugh and banter while agreeing furiously about nothing except that the capitalist ideology is unchallengeable. Their parody of friendship reaches back into the past and spoils all friendships hitherto experienced. The only solution? Don't listen to them. Or let capitalism persuade you to create a podcast yourself. Have you um have you listened to any of these these kind of like uh cozy uh, supposed um meeting of <clears throat> hugely oppositional forces who are actually on the same team podcasts these things where you get like a, a centrist red and centrist blue to get to to hash it out and they they all agree that it's all probably fine have you, have i haven't they're, they're very popular i hear now i've i've got i tried to start one of those podcasts with adam but the problem is you had someone who was quite left but you just assi- you just insisted that he was righter than you know adam is yeah. one of the most right-wing people i know my um i don't know if i've shared the story before but my, my granddad's best mate this uh, used to come and see him once a week and um the basically their whole relationship was this this coffee morning that they'd have around our house Andy would arrive my pop would have all the papers out and they'd just start talking about the news and they were chalk and cheese in terms of like their, their politics. And basically it would end up in an outright slinging match. They would be like going hammer and tongs, shouting at each other, calling each other all sorts of things. And they'd be like, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I've got to go. And then it would just stop. And then, Same time again next yeah, week. See you next week, buddy. <laughs> 
It was great. They, they, they sort of did it as sport. And I wish, I wish there was a podcast of that rather than um, um, Ed Balls and uh, George Osborne. Danny Caroline and I had a version of that um, back in the day uh, where it was. I mean, a couple of times it did get oof. Um, a little bit uncomfortable, and there were because there were three of us. There was always two people who were uncomfortable, and the other person going, "I don't know what. I don't actually know really what's happening." Um, and then we would go to Tesco's, um, order booze and pizza, and stand around being giggly at the security guard. <laughs> Can I just say, I, I never got uncomfortable. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, yeah, he said there were two yeah. people who got uncomfortable. Yeah, and it was always the same two people. <laughs> always the same two people. <laughs> or perhaps one person who got uncomfortable, the other person who got strident. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that I can ignore people's politics. And I'm not good friends with, but I'm acquaintances with uh, Tory councillors and Lib Dem councillors and on nodding terms with them and stuff. Not like huge... Uh, buzz and buddies with them or anything but um, I'm in a WhatsApp group with some incredibly right wing people and you just learn and there's other relationships that are tying you to that so you just sort of learn to ignore it essentially um, otherwise life um, doesn't um, uh, life freezes um, because you just and there, there are things that I won't ignore but there are um there's an, an awful lot of things I I will ignore. The fact that they're completely economically ignorant helps because I can just go, they don't know, you know, if I can think to myself, they don't know what they're talking about. John Hickman, do you have anything to share? Yes, I do. <clears throat> Mine's rather long. No, I'm not saying that, I'm just apologising because you're going to have to hear my voice wanging on for a bit. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it has been pointed out, has much to say on the topic of spacecraft propulsion systems. So too does the Encyclopedia Galactica, of course, but the two books differ in crucial ways. The Encyclopedia Galactica can tell you much about the science, history and development of each galactic drivetrain, and will cross-reference these two patents pending, confirmed, cancelled, and even the one that was paradoxically awarded in the wrong dimension and three millennia too soon, because the famous Quebecer test pilot Burns Lawn accidentally slung her shot around the nearest sun, ending up in Runcorn Earth in 1994. Using the last of her power cells, Solanalorn managed to fire off the test flight results, and the patent for the Slingo Masmatron drive was duly lodged in Alpha Centauri, some 2,987 years before her own birth. Stranded in space and time, Solanalorn now lives in Runcorn as Sheila Johnson. Sheila has a rather nice bungalow with a very shiny potting shed at the bottom of the garden, which for some reason is covered in fins and go faster stripes. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is more pragmatic than this. With an eye on how the traveller on a budget can get from A to Beta Quadrant, the guide focuses on the utility of things, how reliable each engine is, and which ones make the coolest noise when you fly past some girls. One of the stranger class of spacecraft covered by the guide is the Boropzulan Friendship, so called because it is a ship powered by the perpetual energy field of good friends. The Boropzulan government commissioned research into the power of friendship based on an influential paper from their top scientist, Trilam Nilumboots. Nilumboots' work was inspired by a series of motivational fridge magnets his mother had collected on her yearly holiday to Sandraginus V. These offered such wisdom as 
A friend knows the song in my heart and sings it to me when my memory fails. And true friends are like octrarian sun crystals, precious and rare. Fake friends are like tax returns, found everywhere. He hypothesized that true friendship might actually generate a huge amount of cosmic energy and could be harnessed as a form of reliable, clean power, capable of driving a galactic star cruiser at very low cost. And it turned out he was right. But the early friendships were not without problems. The very first test ship was crewed by a group of pilots and scientists who had known each other since school. Their deep bonds and shared history were more than enough to successfully power up their craft, the SS Zuckerberg, and it lifted off to great celebration across Borobzula. As the Zuckerberg gained altitude, the captain told a story about the creepy PE teacher who used to insist that everyone have a thorough cold shower after games, and he would watch to make sure this was happening. The memory and the recognition of that shared psychic trauma accelerated the craft towards escape velocity. The ship's doctor then shared a photo over the comlink of the group assembled for their school leavers prom. Stage three achieved, going for stage four, senior engineer announced, as the first mate typed a reply to the photo. What were we like, eh? And with that, the whole crew laughed. For what, indeed, were they like? Stage four ignition hit. The Uckerberg seemed to stretch to infinite size, and then it coalesced into a ball of brilliant blue. And it vanished. Uckerberg has attained mission speed. Good luck, best friends, the mission controller announced calmly. While all around him, the ground crew screamed and whooped and hollered. They'd done it. Friendship-powered space travel could be achieved. What happened next to the Uckerberg is not at all clear. All we have are fragments of data and small bursts of communication. On day two of the mission, Control received the following cryptic message. There was only one channel and we respected our parents. Many will not agree. I remember drinking water from the hose. Share if you think the bin man should bring white dog shit into your house. It never did me any harm, but the woke left won't let you say it now because they are too busy transing their pronouns. One like is one respect. My kid, my life, end off. On day six, Borup Zula received an urgent hail from the other end of the galaxy. The SS Zuckerberg had materialised in atmosphere over the planet Veruta. The ship was totally inert and it immediately fell like a stone to the planet's surface. Rescue crews found just one survivor, the ship's cook. Badly injured and very confused, she looked upon her rescuers and spoke one word before she died. Snakes! Despite this, the mission was seen as a success. Friendship had powered the craft. It was a source of cheap and clean energy, unless you count the clean-up costs and pollution caused by the 500-mile trail of debris smeared across Veruta's once famous Gold Coast. The Limboots got to work refining the friendship drive, the problem seemed to be that there were unpredictable ripples and kinks in the community of the SS Zuckerberg, which meant that the friendship circle could be compromised. What was needed, he realised, was a friendship that could be controlled and predicted. What if, he wondered, friendships could be grown in the lab, fully controlled, mapped and understood? Soon, second-generation prototypes were ready. These had genetically engineered friends sealed safely inside a drive room. These ships were much more stable and they flew accident-free but was still not perfect. The carefully scripted friendship routines programmed into the drive friends were enough to launch the ships and get them seven standard days into their journey. But even the most powerful quantum computing could not map the social complexity into day eight and day nine. An engine performance would become erratic, though never lethal, as the drive would begin arguing with itself about small infractions, such as who has eaten the very moist leftover sandwich or what might be considered the essence of a chair. 
This led Nolan Boots to design the third generation Friendship Drive, upon which all commercially released Borup Zulan Friendships are based. In the final design, friends are grown in a ship-based lab and pushed into the drive room every seven days. This does of course require the previous group of friends to be emitted from the drive as exhaust gases. A more ethical design of the drive allows the friends, now quite bitter and spiteful, to be removed and reused, mostly as PE teachers. Hitchhikers can feel assured that a friendship drive is safe and stable, as well as very fast. And catching a lift in a friendship is highly recommended, especially as they make a really cool noise. Ellen Boots succeeded in his mission to make cheap and affordable fast travel from the power of friendships. But it wasn't without cost in the early days. And it did need compromises to be made. Ultimately, he learned that the real faster than light drive is the friends we make along the way. Teachers going for a bad rap on this show, I've noticed. <laughs> they do. We're not the most sporty of bunch, I don't know if you've noticed. Mm. Did you work backwards, John? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100% started with the last line, absolutely, yeah. Which, like how um, John Bounds, how you used to come up with uh, features for your radio show, is you come up with the name first and then decide what the joke is going to be. I mean, that's how I run my life, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I will still remember dick in a box, dick in a box. <laughs> There's something a little minority report about, um, yeah, I could see sort of three, in my mind I'm seeing three bald blue spindly creatures um, in a, like jellyfish-like, in a vat of, of, of something with sort of all wires and stuff coming out of them in in the in the friendship drive in the friendship drive yeah and they're just they're, they're having a really good discussion about the box set that they just enjoyed and how if you stick past episode four it gets really good so are they are they friends when they go in or are they not friends and they make friends while they're there and that's the the power Ooh. like are they lying there for a bit before one of them goes anyone fancy a pint after this <laughs> Like, which is the start of nearly every friendship I have. They, what they actually are is, um, in in my head canon, the drive <clears throat> is actually just a sitcom, and that's the reason why it's a seven day cycle, and it always has to be reset because you don't get, you don't progress in sitcom very much. Sometimes you know you, you sometimes eventually do, but essentially only in the bingey ones. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, you 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 go like this is this is the kooky one, this is the sexy one, this is the brainy one, this is the the buff one, right? And then you shit them into the space, and there's like one or two sets. They do their things, they have their adventure, and then they have to go back to being their archetypes again for the next time. So that's why it was a seven-day cycle. Hands up to be the sexy one. <laughs> I was thinking that the um, the when you said that, Mark, I was thinking like the... Uh, I think the blue man group have probably got to be quite close. <laughs> I think you do need to ban me as friends. You do need to have an intervention and tell me to stop inventing new propulsion systems. <laughs> as, the, um, as, as that was quite Adamsy. Should we talk about friendship in the yes, Hitchhiker's Guide? The thing, the thing that always um, I always remember, uh, and it feels very, very much about friendship, but it's not explicitly stated, is when this is in the radio series because it was written. I think it might have been written differently in the book. Anyway, um, when. Arthur and Ford escape in the radio show The Hagunenons and they end up uh, on the B arc. Arthur's very upset because they've left Trillian and Zaphod to be eaten by the ravenous bug bladder beast of Trial. 
and their escape pod hasn't worked. And Ford says, listen, something along the lines of, you know, you learn enough through years of, of space travel that we don't talk about people we've lost. We just get blind drunk about them later. And there's something there that I, that's always stuck with me about people that you are close to, but you never really have that conversation to be like, we're really good friends because it'd be weird if you did. It'd be weird if you just sat down with a close friend and said, we're really good friends, aren't we? Um, but it's those people that you sort of, you you miss to the point where it hurts and you, there's guilt and there's all sorts of things, you know, maybe about the things that you didn't get to say or the things that you did say. And so what we all agree is that we don't talk about them and then we just get blind drunk and talk about them later. So I've been thinking about this and, and this kind of ties in. So do we know how long for life cycle it's like do we know how long how long he lives because he's got a very he's got a very cavalier attitude to life and death and in my mind friendship as well it seems that arthur values the friendship and the protection of ford more than ford values arthur's company and so i'm thinking if they have a very long life maybe people just do come and go and they kind of don't form attachments because like it's inevitable that they will go again although the arthur is the the one person on earth that he chooses to chooses to save essentially to um at least at that point he cares a, a lot about him because he could have just gone i i always get the impression like there's um I, because I work with kids and they do performances or they, they do talks a lot and it's obviously a story that's told to them and they always retell this story and it's about the little girl on the beach um, and there's loads of um, starfish that are washed upon the shore and these starfish are going to die and she's like oh no so she, she she runs about and she tries to get as many as she can she throws them back into the sea and there's a man there, and he goes, "Why are you trying? You'll never, you'll never be able to save all these starfish." And the little girl goes, "But I can save this one," and throws it back in the sea. And that's a story that's always told. And I always got the impression that Ford was kind of like, "I can save this one," and he just happens to be here. Like I know, I know that there. I know canonically, he's introduced as a friend of his. But it always felt like a fairly casual acquaintance, didn't it? It's the sort of yeah, how long have we been friends? I don't know, a few years. Most of it seemed to make much, you know, most of it seemed to make pretty much sense at the time. Doesn't seem like it was, yeah, a, 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 a real binding friendship. I mean, uh, the, the other Beetlejuicean is um, is Zaphod. And I think Zaphod doesn't make friends. He influences people. <laughs> yeah, he, he kind of, he has people that he likes more than others to like him if it make, that oh, makes sense yeah no that does make sense i like this person liking me more than this person so they're they're a friend i'll keep this one nearby because the more that this one likes me the better i feel yeah and obviously like ford and ford and zayford like their cousins not mates i mean you can be mates with your cousin but like but you can't be cousins with your mate <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah do you think like do you do you feel like ford's particularly like friends with Zayford or just like a guy just, just, just this guy you, he knows you know <laughs> they they have like that's a, a I think I think people recognise the bit where he tries to out call him so 
so people must recognize that relationship or at least that feeling of trying to you know to me that is always read as your cousins are coming round to stay for the weekend um and you know you've got to you got to look after them or show them round or or you know amuse them because you know your uncles and your dad are off playing golf or watching the football or whatever um and so there's always something there around yeah, the, it's 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 that kind of relationship. It's the it's the sort of you are pseudo friends for a bit, and then then you go away, and then you might see them again next summer, kind of thing. A lot of the relationships in Hitchhiker's are quite broad and cartoonish, sort of by necessity. But the the bit where uh, Ford meets uh, Beetlejuice on the sort of the, the bridge of the Heart of Gold, it's very much, you know, you're it's very much you're my cousin you're my familial relationship we have a deep bond but they're not really asking each other what what they've been doing it's enough that they're there they don't really you know what i mean so it's kind of like that's actually quite i think that's quite well drawn i mean he he did do traveling it is based on the book that he did when he's traveling and like the friendships that you make when you are traveling are always quite intense but transitory transitory anyway so like maybe it's a reflection of that like you you know you're only going to be in this person's orbit for you know a week or maybe two you know enjoy it while you can and then kind of just get over it when they're gone yeah and then you'll 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 if it's the 80s um you'll do pen pals for a bit and then one of you will take a few too many weeks to reply and then it'll just sort of drift off and then yeah We've talked a lot over the time when we've been here. We've talked a lot about the um, the fact that the female characters aren't always as well drawn as we might have liked, and particularly if we apply a modern sensibility to it. I think it's quite interesting to look at male female relationships through this through this friendship lens, um, and and ask the question like, is Trillian anyone's friend, or is she just? the girl that everyone wants to have so that that makes me think of there's a dynamic that i really love you see occasionally in sitcoms and it's usually ones that are written fairly well i think ted lasso has done this one um but i really enjoy the dynamic of the two people who never actually interact you know they're never written together and then suddenly you know there's there's like a group of six people and they're always interacting in different ways but like numbers four and six never like for whatever reason they never have scenes together they never have storylines together they don't really interact in that way and it's like all four of them leave one two three and five leave and then four and six are there and they sort of look at each other and and they're like we don't really have a dynamic do they do we you know and like the show sort of recognizes that and you know they they just sort of share a look and it's like yeah we 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 don't we're not a thing and I, i i was getting that thought with ford and trillion really because it's you know the 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 two never really speak to each other and i i just imagine that moment where they're both perhaps on the bridge and they're just like do do we pretend that we're friends or do we just go back to our separate quarters there's um there's a a very good um seinfeld episode of you can say what's that about where essentially elaine and george are thrust together and they just—they eventually discover they can't interact without Jerry being there. <laughs> and they just and, and they, re, you know, they really hate it. But when he's there, and the, the only way they can do it is if they talk about the person that isn't there, and essentially slag him off. And I think that genuinely—that ha- genuinely happens quite a lot. 
I mean, like, um, Danny, before you logged onto this call, um, you were the main topic of conversation, I think. I should hope so. Not in a bad way, at least. He wouldn't mind either way. Yeah. yeah, he'll take, yeah. The only thing worse than being talked about is buyer. <laughs> What about Marvin? They have genuine affection for Marvin. Ooh, do they? Arthur, Arthur does. Does Marvin have affection for them? Would he consider them friends? Good question. He's definitely lonely after spending all that time in the car park. Um, but whether but whether or not it's um, them in particular he's, he's missing. Pining for. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so because... I think he he assumes because he's got the whole I'm not getting you down at all am I thing. I think he would assume that it would be because friendship is in some ways reciprocal. Like the levels can differ, but you can't be friends with someone who refuses to be friends with you. That's not how it works. I, I've done that many times. <laughs> <laughs> You've been friends at someone. That's not the yeah. same. <laughs> I've friend at people so hard sometimes, <laughs> especially especially if they don't reciprocate. It's the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> but but yeah, so I think Marvin has such a low opinion of himself. He couldn't imagine anyone would actually want to be his friend, and so therefore he's not going to be friends with anyone because he can't. He just can't think of a world in which that would be the case. But don't they drag him to see the the message? They do to see the the, the words. Yeah, that, that's but that's purely... only because they find him. That's only because they find him there. But they could have left him if they if they don't have affection for him. They could have left him. No, I, I don't think Mark's saying that they don't have affection for him. I think they're saying, I think he's saying that Marvin can't compute that and doesn't expect or he just doesn't compute affection from people essentially. And that is a very real human trait. If you have a such a low opinion of yourself that you will assume, hello, um, you will assume sometimes that um, people are friends with you out of obligation or pity. Or for other reasons, um, well, those are usually the, the two reasons. Um, or, you know, there's some other gain rather than, no, they actually enjoy your company because th that can be hard to compute sometimes. Did um, Thingy have friends? Adams have friends? Like, was he a particularly friendly guy? I, I, I get the impression he was quite spiky. Well, he was v famously very good friends with John Lloyd up until um, the novel was written. Uh, they made it up afterwards, but. Um, and you know Stephen Fry. Um, it sounds like he was at least gregarious, right? Graham Chapman. I mean, he, they they wrote together, but that doesn't necessarily mean. I'm not sure that there's lots and lots of people that would say they were his friend, but I don't think he had a lot of what you might call really close friends. If he's, if um, so, I mean, maybe that's a function of um, of being a sort of novelist or being famous or, or or whatever it is. But it seems that like oh, he would you know he'd have a big party and everybody would come. No one would. I don't mean this. This is going to sound trite, and I don't mean it to. Everybody would come, but no one would stay. If you know what I mean. Like people would come, but then suddenly everyone's gone and it's just like oh i am actually still on my own there's no you know there, there aren't the the last few people here who are going to sleep over on the sofa because they're just having such a good time or they're such good friends and they just feel so comfortable like everyone's kind of gone and that is that is a that's a that's a thing i think john lloyd sort of came back and there are a number of people that would consider themselves close friends but whether that was like to the extent of you know we're gonna we're gonna hang out down the pub every friday and we're gonna you know it's not like the they're not like the likely lads or 
the friends in friends you know what i mean it's do you think there's a theme of loneliness or at least a tone of loneliness throughout all of the books i mean there sort of has to be i guess if you think about the fact that our hero's planet is destroyed and there's no one you know as much as he's jetting around but then there's i mean th- then we get into the difference of being alone and being lonely so he i think i think arthur likes being alone I was going to say, like, mostly harmless. He loves being the sandwich maker, right? Exactly. He hasn't got yeah. friends there. He has. And he's got. He's also got a purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a big thing as well. So I can't remember if I've mentioned this uh, to you before. I probably have. But I, I, I started a re-listen um, to the radio show a couple of months ago. And I was I, each time I, I listen, I'm struck by how much... Actually, he he wouldn't have used the term then because we didn't really have it and we still keep misusing it now. But how much the story is about mental health, um, you know, from everything being about learning. It's, it's all about how you cope. The whole story, really, all the way that the characters are trying to figure out how to cope. Even the, the, the bit part characters like Bang Bang and Shooty are just trying to figure out how to... Um, deal with the fact that they go out gratuitously shooting people in, you know, in, in CD space bars and then go and write poetry in crayon. Like they, they are just trying to cope. And there's even those moments where people share of like, yeah, there's a shootout and we're all actually just trying to do our best. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot in the, the, the books, I think, um, and the, the radio show about what it is to, have a brain and try and pilot it and try and look after it and not trample on too many other people. Like a lot of it is actually from, uh, is, is about what we would now call mental health. I think. I thought I was going to say the, yeah, the Vogue on guard, the, uh, although that's explicitly, um, called in by, by Ford. And there's, I think old the, the old thrash bar again, he mostly harmless. He's, um, he's unsure of his purpose and will, he's aware subtly that it's all bollocks. Um, and the, the cricket men again, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're your, um, multicolored rainbow pastel sloths, Dan. Oh, yeah, very much. Yeah. They, uh, this will all have to go. Although they're not, they're not, you know, I'm not saying you ripped it off. The, uh, I'm saying, <laughs> I had to differ, so I didn't use the word genocide on purpose. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's a lot about. There is a lot about that. There aren't that many close relationships. What there are is lots of characters being jealous of other people having those relationships <laughs> or wanting those relationships and not getting them. That's a. We talked a little bit about about sort of Marvin and um, there's, a, there's an interesting counterpoint to that. So genuine people personalities the chirpy door is he is he friends with everybody oh the door yeah i think he thinks he is <laughs> yes very much <laughs> i kn- i know people like the bloody door <laughs> he's definitely uh, a stranger is just a friend that you haven't met yet but... oh but if marvin's personality doesn't allow him to form a friendship the door's personality both does and is also the blocker right 
the, the door you wouldn't be friends with that with that door because it's so cloying and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but you, the door would never perceive you as anything but. The door doesn't know that the door wants it too much. That's the problem. They're opposites, aren't they? They're opposites, aren't they? The door thinks the door behaves as everybody is, is its friend, and Marvin behaves as if no one could ever be. Much like Eddie. But but I think Eddie's got a degree of in, you know the shipboard computer. I think Eddie's got a degree of intelligence where he knows he's programmed to be friends. Um, and I don't know if the doors are that smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now it's um, it's come to my attention that uh, I've written something. Um, this is uh, a meandering and untidy treatise on friendship. Everyone is friends with everyone. Nowadays, this is common knowledge among the more civilized parts of the galaxy, but there are some societies that still believe the air fryer is a pretty neat idea. So it is for those beings that the following information is provided. Roughly one third of the population of any given planet has, at one point in their lives, said the phrase, any friend of X is a friend of mine, where X is the name of any sentient life form capable of enjoying a cocktail. So, if Queep is friends with Xylo, and Xylo is friends with Jessica Narrow Lin Manuel DeFeifer to the power of nine, and Queep says any friend of Xylo's is a friend of mine, it so passes that Queep and Jessica Narrow Lin Manuel DeFeifer to the power of nine are now firm friends. Therefore, by extrapolation, it is possible, if not inevitable, to conclude that every being is friends with every other being through one, two, or 48 quadrillion degrees of separation. It's just simple maths. But what does friendship mean? Well, according to Sabitha GPT, friendship is a small town just to the midwest of bruising on the sod, a now largely desolate locale chiefly frequented by drug dealers and mortgage brokers. When it was suggested that Sabitha GPT might be incorrect, the service apologised profusely and went on to state confidently that friendship is a blue liquid that iridesces faintly orange when held against a naked flame. This is, of course, correct. And although no one has ever seen a bottle of the stuff, the fumes it produces have had dramatic and irreversible effects on the universe. In one tiny little blue-green planet, orbiting an unregarded yellow sun, friendship has been witnessed in as many as four of the odd little chimp-like creatures that roam the planet's surface in search of things to air fry. Of course, these beings could hardly be said to have brains large enough to comprehend the true power and nature of friendship, yet it is believed that this naive, almost cute form of primitive friendship was strengthened to an almost steely quality by their love for and disdain of something called Birmingham. Research is sketchy on the topic, but it seemed to have something to do with a flightless bird with blue plumage. Although the origin of the bird is unknown, it was thought to be particularly active around the Earth years of 2008 to 2012. Little detail remains, as most of the records were destroyed in the Biscuit Wars, but what we do know is this. Mork Spielman is grateful to his friends Jim Flown, Jan Hoysen and Daniel Ech. Without Flown, he would not have performed a live recitation of a song about the number 11 bus and would remain belligerently ignorant of the band Wet Log. 
Without Hoisin, he would not have experienced third-degree gaslighting, but also notes that he would be considerably less wise and more pig-headed. And without Ech, Spielman would probably be in a boring office job he hated because he had yet to be trusted with the running of a radio show, a point Ech has strenuously denied as he once made it clear to Spielman that they were friends outside of the radio station. Why these records should have survived when other, less self-indulgent material was equally salvageable is unknown. Philosophers have wondered for millennia whether, if a friend drinks by himself in his spare room, but he's in a stupidly named WhatsApp group, is he ever truly alone? The answer is, of course not. For one thing, a friend of a friend of his just met Jessica Narrow Lin-Manuel de Pfeiffer to the power of nine, and now, so have you. That was beautiful. Cutie. What was my pseudonym again? Daniel Ech. I was going to go for... Um, oh, it wasn't Daniel. Um, it was... Yeah. I was going to go for the surname... Th- just, just the, just the letters, th- but I thought that would be very hard to, um, to actually come across. I just wanted the letters th as your surname, um, but I just it didn't seem to translate quite as quite so well over the microphone. So I went with Ech. I think it was Donald because no one's ever sure you're wearing any trousers. On exactly, this. Donald. Where are they? I am wearing trousers. Thank you for treating us. What did you do in the biscuit wars, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> I nearly went off on a tangent, a tangent, a tangent about um, a planet called Richard Richard Osman. Um, <laughs> which was the source of the start of the biscuit wars because it got people creating a you know world cup of biscuits but i thought that's going to be that's a tangent too far and i mean i know i didn't do it because i didn't do lots of things but the um john's original and idea was that we should um we should uh incorporate things within our entries that made mark feel embarrassed um, yeah, Danny did that. Yeah, um, but Danny wouldn't have needed prompting to have done that. <laughs> I still, I still remember 2008 um, chatting with being very nervous, um, chatting with internet famous John Bounds over Skype, and him telling. I, I can't remember what remark it was, but. I had turned my microphone off because we were, we were recording a thing over Skype and, and so John was um, submitting a thing to my first ever podcast and he said something that made me laugh so much I made this high-pitched laugh that even though my mic fader was turned all the way off, there was still enough <laughs> trickle that my laugh actually made it into the recording even though the microphone was off. <laughs> and I've never done that again. But- <laughs> It's because I see you coming now. That's the problem. Do you remember meeting in the pub and then we knew? So we met at a bloggers meet for for the viewers, which um, was an internet. So blogging meet. was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we met as strangers, as a bunch of us did. There was quite a lot of new people there that night. First time I'd met Bounder as well. And we were all talking, and we were like, uh, "I think John Bounds is going to be. Here. I think I think internet famous John Bounds is going to be here. The man who told us what happens inside a portaloo is coming here." <laughs> I was trying to rack my brains to think about um, my first encounter in the wild with John Hickman. And I suspect, because there's a few people like this, where John will remember it earlier than I will, because, you know, Faces and me don't always do that well together. And so I'm pretty sure John met me before I met John. (laughs) Because that happened with uh, with some mutual friends from uh, formerly uh, erstwhile from South Africa, who who definitely met me before I met them. 
Um, they'd met me a couple of times, in fact, before I'd met them, <laughs> which was quite impressive. I, I, rem- I remember meeting Danny for the first time. I, ca- I can't quite place when I physically met John and John and Mark for the first time. When did you? When did we meet for the first time? Because I I have no memory of this. We were in the in the beer garden bit of the old crown in Digbeth, like but I say beer garden, like the table that's outside in the yard. And you you essentially like interviewed me to see if I was kosher. <laughs> yeah, because you you are far too neurotypical to be hanging around. Now I'm going to test test yeah. you on this, yeah, yeah. and it's like this is this is actually quite good fun. I'm quite enjoying. This. <laughs> But you, um, yeah, it was it was the best job interview I, I think I've ever. <laughs> I don't remember that. I do do that though. I, I know, yeah, I do. I do ask questions. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know why, but like when I meet new people, I, I ask a lot of questions. It was great. So, have have any of you guys got any tips for making friends? Because I am really bad at it. I've, I've, I've got, I've got so few. I've, I've got the negative number of tips because as a child i used to ask kids if we were friends yet i think everyone does that right no i never did that so john you don't you don't need to make any friends anymore because you have because you have a child so your friends now the evolutionary purpose has are the, has been are the adults that come attached to children that your child is friends with no yeah they are your friends now but they are boring <laughs> I can only, I mean, I'm, of course I'm friends with all of you, but I can only really remember making friends with Dan in the sense that when we met Dan, I thought, right, consciously, I want to be friends with him. I like, and not that I, not that, you know, not that I didn't want to be friends, you know what I mean, but I consciously remember sort of almost like making the running a little bit with Dan. Like, <laughs> like consciously. Oh, you know, I really hope I get the gig. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, at the risk of being... Uh, blisteringly sincere for a moment <laughs> in a way that only I can do. Um, well, there's, there's a couple of things. Firstly, um, this this is, I mean, I'm saying it's not for the tape, but you're hearing this listener, so obviously it has made it in. Um, when my friends came and um, helped me celebrate turning 40, um, they delivered me some beautiful gifts, but they also delivered me themselves. And um, I was incredibly touched and then <laughs> very slightly sad that Danny's extremely efficient and kind girlfriend very extremely kindly and efficiently and quickly bundled me into a taxi while the other while the lads were having a piss. And so I never actually got to say goodbye. <laughs> and I felt bad about that. <laughs> But I also didn't want to get told off by Danny's very kind and efficient girlfriend. So thank you, Lucy, for doing that. But also, you know, because she was looking after me and making sure I got home okay. Um, but it also meant that I didn't get to say goodbye to my friends. So, um, lads, I'll uh, I'll see you soon and, and thank you for that. Um, but also, I feel um, genuinely warmed and touched. And I'm extremely grateful to know you and that this podcast has like that we did this we started this little thing in 2017 and it's strengthened our friendships and um it's given us the opportunity to do some fun things and thank you you have been listening to john bounds john hickman danny smith and me mark steadman this has been the final episode of beware of the leopard and with that our hitchhiking days are over you can drop us off anywhere here 
We all still plan on working together, so do keep us in your feed, as we'll have the occasional announcement. But we'd all rather go out with a big bang rather than slowly dribble away like sand down a plug hole. Social media is a fractured landscape, but you can find John Bounds at johnbounds.co.uk. That's with no H. John Hickman is at theplan.co.uk. And Danny Smith is at edgetrinkets.co.uk. Danny wrote a book about his trip to Mexico, in which he nearly died. So look for Staring Death in the Face wherever you get your books, uh, e.g. Amazon, or buy it direct from paradisecircus.com. I have a new daily podcast to help creative people get paid for what they love to do, along with a newsletter where I'll keep you abreast of any goings-on with the Leopard Boys. You can find that at hellostedman.com. Links are, of course, in the show notes. This whole silly thing exists because of some words Douglas Adams wrote down in the 1970s. We never got to meet you, but should this slip through a wormhole in space... Thank you so much for what you made. And please don't judge our own impressions of your work too harshly. We had incredible fun making this podcast, but it wouldn't have been nearly as splendid and worthwhile had we not known our listeners were there. And one or two people even asking when we'd make more. But the best laid plans of vast, hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings often go astray. So thank you. Thank you and goodbye for now you, you know i've got that thing where i um i forgot what to say in a shop once and <laughs> there was like a rhythm to it and like i i, I knew that it was my turn to say something <laughs> right <laughs> Because he'd said something, but there was nothing to say. So my brain panicked and I went, here is your money now. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm so desperate to avoid that weirdness that I make every shop interaction just a little bit weird. (laughs) But on your terms. (laughs) The woman asked me a question the other day and I knew it was my turn to say something. And I blanked and I just stared at her for like... A really long time. <laughs> like my brain going, say something. It's getting weirder. It's getting weirder. You should say something, right? And all my brain could think of doing is going, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Daddy, I saw, uh, I, I went on that the new Threads app that they've got now. And uh, they hadn't switched on the people that you follow feed. So I had to have the list of everyone. And some of the nonsense that people are saying on there, it's just like they're, they're desperately hoping that someone's going to think there's some deep thinker. And this guy had posted, um, when you speak to somebody, always imagine it's the last thing you're going to say to them and make the moment count. And then like, people are pouring in underneath, going, that's so deep, man, that's so deep. And all I could think of was the scenario you're, th- you're talking about, <laughs> being in the shop and just going, you, you did change, good. <laughs> That was the best scanning of a nectar card. Thank you. <laughs> but also, it'd mean you'd have to end every sentence with bye then. <laughs> <laughs>